0: I'm going to get into the last, uh, last in a series of sermons on past, present, and future. Okay, who's been here for all of them so far? Sure, sure, sure. A lot of catching up to do. Okay. We did miss last week because we all went to Somerset West for Andrew um, and to be part of the hub meeting, which was amazing. Um, it really was an incredible time, and I really got great feedback from that. So well done for all of you who went. It, wasn't, it really was an amazing time. Okay, so we spoke about the past, and as a Christian, that you're the biggest thing about the past is that your sins have been forgiven, right? And it's an incredible truth. And then we spoke about how um, we shouldn't live in the past, but sometimes we live with the consequences of the past. Uh, and then we spoke about living with the past of sometimes things happen, but we we move forward in Christ, and Christ can redeem. Every situation. And then we spoke about the present. We spoke about, uh, I'm a new creation in Christ. Behold, the old things have gone. And I used the example of the shoes. So I had a pair of really old shoes and a pair of new shoes. And I did this little thing, and everyone was clapping, and it was very cool. But it just got through the message of, We are new creations in Christ. And there's something about how we, we take off the old and we put on the new nature. And there's a process of putting on that new nature. Does everyone remember that? Okay. And it was awesome because we got Samuel up here. I said, we don't regard Samuel in only human terms anymore, because what Christ has done in the cross, we now regard him as a spiritual being, right? Something has happened inside of him. The Holy Spirit now lives inside of him. So when you look at him, you're not looking at it as a mere mortal, but you're looking at a man who has been recreated in Christ, and the Holy Spirit dwells inside of him, which makes him, what we use the word dangerous in some sense, right? Like he, he can go out and preach the gospel, and get people saved, and, and change people's eternal destinies, okay? And that goes for everyone in this room, not just Samuel. Okay, he's not the only one. But maybe God harder than for, I don't know. But that, okay, so that was the present. And so now I want to talk about the future. And I, I'll talk a little bit about eschatology, just a little bit. And eschatology is just the study of end times or the study of end things. And it uh, can be a tricky topic. I sent my, my preach to Mike. I was like, hey, Mike, what do you think of this? He was like, yeah, like, I agree with most of it. <laughs> And that's really what eschatology, it happens often, right? In eschatology or the study of end things, there's so many different positions which still fall within the realms of orthodoxy as believers. And we can agree to disagree on some things, okay? So I want to put that disclaimer up front. I don't really get into too much eschatology, but just so you know, okay? Often when you mention the word millennium, guys just go, it's like, well, I'm pre-post-A. Which one are you? I'm like, ah. I don't know. Can I be all? No, you can't. That's called a pan-millennialist, which means everything pans out in the end. Okay. All right. All right. But I want us to extend grace to one another in this. Okay. We don't have to all be exactly on the same page with regards to how we see the end days playing out. Okay. We want to be faithful to scripture. And I was watching a debate recently with Men of the gospel, men who are incredible men of God, like John Piper, Sam Storms, Doug Wilson, men who are extremely good theologians, all having different positions on the end times and what they believe and how it will play out, but still having uh, friendship and unity. Okay, and there's a saying which says, uh, in these, uh, what does the saying say? In the essentials, unity, in the non-essentials, liberty, and everything else, charity, Okay, so we would regard eschatology in end times as a non-essential in, in some ways. Okay, would you agree with that, Mike? So, is anyone here, uh, this is a good example, is anyone here who's more, the, uh, no, okay, let me just pick on Dave. Dave, <laughs> Dave is more in the reform tradition of, the, of Christianity, okay? Is that fair to say? Okay. What do I mean by that? Well, Dave would believe in more in something called predestination, for example. Now, that's fine. Because Reformed theology is orthodox and they do believe in the thing called predestination, and, and we can walk in unity in that thing because we don't see it as an essential. Okay? We can disagree on how we see predestination playing out. But if someone walks into the church and says, I want to come visit your church, I don't believe in the Trinity, well, then I can't walk in unity with you because that's an essential. Is essential. Just like the virgin birth is an essential. I, ca- you can't, I can't walk with you in that sense. I can pray for you and go, oh, we, this, this this is too essential for us to walk in unity together. Okay, so let's dive into this topic. Now that I've got you all excited and interested, <laughs> it'll probably be a bit of a letdown because actually I don't get that deep into it. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, do, I was going to do a survey of who, who has what position, but I won't do that. Okay. So, I want to walk us through a passage of scripture in Philippians, okay? And we all know the book of Philippians well. And we're actually going to know this scripture really well. So, just stick with me because I want to talk about two parts of the future. One is the near future, and the other one is the distant future, okay? So, near future means when we think future, we always think way 20, 40, 50, eternity. But actually, the future tense is tomorrow. And it's next week, and it's the next year, and it's the few years after that. Okay, so I want us to talk, what does the near future look like? And then what does it look like into eternity? Because that is exciting. Okay, that is super exciting, and I hope you catch a heart of it just to see where I'm going with it. Okay, so Philippians 1, 21 to 26. Let's give Laura one second, but I'll read it from my notes along. It says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to part, to depart to be with Christ, which is far better indeed. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue with all of you in your progress, for all of you, for your progress and joy in the faith. So that though my coming to you again so that through my coming to you again your exaltation in christ jesus will resound on account of me so paul's writing this letter the letter to the philippian church he's writing from prison so the context is he's in chains he uses that language often in this book he says i'm in chains i'm a prisoner right and so being in prison i think you think of your future or your near future quite a lot especially in paul's case where eventually paul is put to death so he's going well I've got this near future, well, I'm in prison now, but I don't know exactly what the, the end result is of what's going to happen in my future. And the chances are I'm going to be killed. So he's holding these two things in tension, right? And I think um, maybe better than a lot of us would do in that instance. But he's wrestling through this thing of, of the near future, what's going to happen soon, because he talks about it in his passage, and he talks about the distant future as well. And I think as Christians, we need to do that. We need to keep our eyes on what's going to happen in the next few weeks, as much as we need to think what's going to happen in the next 20, 30 years, and what's going to happen when we get to be with Jesus in eternity. So who's heard this phrase, so heavenly minded that you know earthly good? And we all know it. Yeah, yeah. If you've been in charismatic circles for like a year, you've probably heard it, right? And that's a good one. And I, I, I It's not terrible. Like, I think we do need to be thinking about what's going to happen in heaven. But sometimes you get people who are too obsessed with going, what's happening there, and forget about what is happening here. And I think we need to hold that that passage with um, Wayne Turner's favorite author, which is C.S. Lewis. You can speak to him about that afterwards. (laughs) But C.S. Lewis says this. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most about the next. Okay, so there's something about us being in this world, thinking about what is going to happen in the future, or happening in, what's going to happen with us in heaven, and wanting to be with Jesus, and that affects what we do and how we live here. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so as much as we, the first one goes, we're just there all the time, we're not doing anything here. The other one goes, we're doing stuff here because of what we, what's going to happen there. Okay, and I think that's a good position to have. I think in lights of eternity, how does it affect what I'm doing in the world now? Okay. So the near future, let me talk about that first, and then I'm going to talk about the distant future and eternity. So what does it look like tomorrow or the next week or the day after that? So we heard last Sunday, as we went to go see Andrew speak, we we heard about being slaves to Christ and how we no longer live for ourselves, right? How we've been bought with a price, we've been bought with the blood of Jesus, and now we, we live in a sense to do his bidding on earth, okay? We all agree with that. And so we are his hands and feet in spreading the gospel. And as we read this passage in Philippians, Paul actually says what we should be doing while we are here, because even while Paul's in prison, he's going, if I'm here, while I'm here, I will engage in fruitful labor, He says this, in in light of his uncertain future, Paul is determined to keep living for Christ. He's not just counting down the days or or just kind of whiling away his time in prison, going, I'm in prison, what else can I do? He's like, no, I will will be fruitful in this time. I will engage in fruitful labor. Because he says that, he says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. So that what, what I choose, I do not know. Or we think of Colossians 1.10. So that uh, it says, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And so the present and the near future mean faithfulness to Christ and to the message of the cross and being a slave to Christ, right, of of. Tomorrow our posture is, how will I be bear fruit for the kingdom? What will I do knowing that maybe I've got 10, 20, 30 years left on earth? What does that mean for me? And then I will enter over or go into eternity with Christ. Um, th- there's a passage of scripture which I love, and it's, uh, it's found in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. It says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and immovable, Always excel in the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. (laughs) And there's a, I shared this song once with Hacker. Who knows that planting a church can be hard work? I mean, who knew, right? (laughs) I mean, it's all easy. It's all cool and fun. But actually, sometimes it's hard work. Sometimes there's labor that goes in there for there to be fruit that is born. And, and one time I remember sending Heike the song. It had been a particularly hard week. And the song is beautiful. Oh, it's so beautiful. It just goes, your labor is not in vain. <laughs> I was like, yes, this is going to encourage Heike so much. And she's sitting on a bed and she just starts weeping. I'm like, no, this is the wrong effect. Like, you're supposed to be joyful. Yes. But it is. I just like, oh, okay, Jesus is not in vain. Thank you, Jesus. What we're doing is not in vain. I'm sure all of us have felt that at some point in our lives, when we're running hard for Jesus, and he just reminds us, that's not in vain. It's not in vain. There's a reason why we do this. There's a reason why we are here. And I I thought of this today. I thought, like, we, we think about the work that we must do and the labor we have to do. And sometimes it gets quite hard, and we go, this is not fun. And then we think of Hebrews, where it says, for the joy set before him, Christ endured death on a cross. The ultimate work, <laughs> and we just called to do daily work for the kingdom. Just be faithful. Don't spend too much time on an app. Rather spend time in the Word. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Our labor is not in vain, but it should be joyful as well. Okay, so that is the near future. I hope all of you see that now. We are slaves to Christ. We are working and producing fruit for his kingdom and advancing his kingdom. So the distant future, what do I mean by that? Well, I think you all know. (laughs) The distant future means eternity, right? In this sense, Paul is going, it is far better to be with Christ. He says that in this passage. And so you're going, maybe you're new to the, to the faith, and you're going, what do you mean by that? Like, what does it mean to, to be in eternity with Christ? I'm not really sure. And Maybe you've got questions going, where will it be, and what will we be doing? I know we've been joking throughout this whole, se- this whole series of going, well, one day we're just going to be in heaven and floating around and playing harp music, and it's going to be very ethereal and like, hey, <laughs> And how do we get there is maybe the most important question. Hurry <laughs> don't steal my thunder. <laughs> so we go back to our passage to answer some of these questions. How do we get to be in eternity with Christ? Well, I mean, the answer is pretty obvious, but let me just, again, lay it out for you. <laughs> just so we're all very clear. For to, me, for, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I go on living in this body, this means fruitful labor for me. So what will I choose? I do not know. For I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Now, Paul says, I desire to depart. Now, when I read this passage, I get a sense like there's, there's almost like a bit of anguishing. Of, I want to depart, actually. There's something inside of me that wants to be with him. To be in the presence of God. And we, just thinking through this passage, I think Paul does it because he's he's tasted and seen something of being in the presence of God. In 2 Corinthians 12, 2-3, it says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of it, I do not know, but God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or out of it, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to Paradise. Well, Paul's talking about himself <laughs> in the third person, which is kind of weird. But anyway, it's Paul, so he can do that. But he's, he's seen something of paradise with God. And so he's sitting in this prison cell going, I've been there. I've seen something. And I've, I've been shown things I can't even tell you. You know, he says it in Scripture. He says, I've seen things I can't tell you about. And I don't think he ever does in Scripture. I don't know. As far as he doesn't ever do it. Imagine sitting in a prison cell going, yes, I've seen paradise. I'm sitting in a prison. I want to part. I want to be with Jesus because it is far, far, far better. And so Paul, in some sense, is longing for death. By saying he desires to die, he is longing to die, to be with Christ. And so, as believers, our eternity, our eternal future, begins when life ends, right? When we die. And one day, as believers, the scripture, I love this analogy, it says we will fall asleep. Who's read that in scripture. Scripture says that one day we will fall asleep in Christ. It says that in... 1 Thessalonians 4.13, okay, I'll read it to you, (laughs) 1 Thessalonians 4.13, you can look it up in your Bibles, that's one app you shouldn't delete, just saying, the Bible app, okay, if you're spending lots of time in the Bible app, well done, awesome, if you, yeah, any other apps, no, (laughs) He says this, but I do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do, who have no hope. And so, as you might have uh, ex- ex- suspected already, the state of uh, dying is we fall asleep in Christ. Right? We fall asleep one day. We all, all most of us will fall asleep. Let me say that, because we're talking about eschatology. No one knows when the end will happen. So maybe if some of us won't fall asleep, and we'll be caught up with him. But I would, I mean, what are the statistics? I don't know. Let's, um, we've got some really young kids like Luke, and we've got some older folk as well. So let's go, maybe 50% of us will, will, will fall asleep in Christ. And that's a beautiful thing. And so we will fall asleep to be with him. But what does that mean? Does that mean that we, we, we die and then we in this kind of sleepful state forever? We're just kind of, we're sleeping and nothing's really happening. No, I believe that we fall asleep in this world, but we wake up to be with Christ. We are fully conscious. Like we, we pass from here and we get to be with him in this place called paradise. I want to talk about that word a little bit now. But N.T. Wright, a well-known theologian, says we will be in a state of restful happiness. It still feels like a bit of an understatement when you're talking about being with Jesus. Right, like, I'll get it like restful happiness. I'm like, no, you're with Jesus. Like, it's amazing. Like, it's this incredible thing of we'll all die one day. And then, as Paul said, he longs to the pardon and we'll be with him. I don't know about you. That gets me super excited. We think of the thief on the cross when Jesus is talking to the thief and he says, uh, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today uh, you will be with me in paradise. And so we, I think we get a bit lost sometimes in this language of we're going to go to heaven, which sounds okay, like it sounds good, but actually here's a little point. The scripture never actually says explicitly we will go to heaven as much as the language is always, we will be with Christ, which is far better. That kind of just, that gives me a bit of a handle on it, actually. Being like, okay, I don't know, I'm going to go somewhere, I've heard about it, I don't know what it's like, sounds cool, like pearly gates and gold and stuff, that's cool, awesome, great, and we'll talk about that just now, but actually we go to be with Christ. That is amazing. And that word paradise, it's an interesting word because Jesus uses it with um, the thief on the cross. He says, uh, today you'll be with me in paradise. And it's it's a, a, a Persian word which means garden. And so for all of us, if we think garden, we have to think the first garden which is this place without sin and without curse and this amazingly beautiful, tranquil, awesome place where God was. And then we we leave this world and go to this place to be in paradise with God. And so we pass, we fall asleep in this world. We wake up to Christ. But then that's not all. but I'll get to that now. I was in worship, I was thinking we at um, my father my late father-in-law's birthday today, Dennis. and who most of you some of you would have met him. No no yeah, yeah no yeah. but um, so I just I was thinking in worship though, like it was his, his birthday. and I was thinking in worship like. As we were singing those songs, all hail King Jesus, all, all hail the Savior of the world. And then today, he, he is in the presence of Jesus. And I'm sure he's singing the same song. Like, there's the best birthday present ever. Like, he gets to be in the presence of Jesus. And so there's this wonderful thing where we are caught up with him in this place, this paradise, and we are with him. Now, as I said before, in eschatology, sometimes we disagree. Now, interestingly enough, Mike and I have different opinions on what it looks like in this state. <laughs> Mike would say, I'm, I'm if I'm wrong, we had a very quick discussion yesterday. Mike would say that once we've, we, we fall asleep here and we wake up with Christ, that we receive our new body. Is that right? I would differ. But we can still walk in unity. Okay? Let me explain why I'm right. <laughs> and I won't give Mike the mic afterwards. <laughs> that was naughty, I'm sorry. <laughs> what, what what? Is it <laughs> and they're married and they walk in unity, so there you go. <laughs> No, I mean, it's, uh, anyway, it's a silly... I'm sorry, Mark, I shouldn't have put you in the spot. You can defend your position next week when everyone's forgotten what I've spoken about. (laughs) So we, some theologians would call this state an intermediate state, okay? So we, we go and we're with Christ. I would say that I think we are more spirit than body at this point. Some would say we are just spirit. Some would say we get a temporary body. And some would say we get our resurrection body, okay? So... But there's space to disagree on that and how we interpret that. That's fine. Okay. So th- This is what I think, though. I do believe uh, when, <laughs> when we get it, it doesn't actually matter at this point. The fact that we get it is awesome. Because do you know that one day we will receive a resurrection body. Okay, so we won't just be spirits floating around forever. We will receive... A body. Let me get back to my notes because I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Paul says this. If you keep reading the Philippians, I was, um, I was actually going to go to, to a meeting with Dave on Tuesday. And I was listening to the audio Bible in the car while I was driving. I was going through Philippians. And I got to this passage. I was like, yes. That is amazing. Because he says this. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. Or 2 Corinthians 5.2, which says, We groan, longing to be clothed in our heavenly dwelling." And so, for one, one thing, one case of this could be that we will receive on the last day our earthly bodies which have been transformed into our glorified bodies. John Piper says this, just to further cement my position. <laughs> he says the old body will become a new body, but it will still be your body. There will be continuity. God is able to do what we cannot imagine. The resurrection is not described in terms of a totally new creation, but in terms of a change of the old, cre- a change of the old creation. And that's what Paul is saying in Philippians. He's saying he, he, he will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. So one day we will receive a resurrection body. Now, what does that mean? Do we just, we get our, oh, what does it mean to have a glorified body? We'll get a, a new body. What does that look like? Well, I think we need to look to Jesus when he reappears, right? He comes back and he appears to the 500 and to the disciples. And he comes back in a body, a resurrected body. Because when Jesus comes back, he can walk into closed rooms. Has anyone done that here in this body? You've tried. <laughs> he disappeared. Has anyone here disappeared? <laughs> like, I'd be, yeah, in what sense, okay? I mean, you can ghost, ghost someone in this man age, which is crazy. He never rested. And so we too will receive... This new body, instead of being perishable, dishonorable, and weak all due to sin, our glorified bodies will be imperishable, honorable, and powerful. And we can eat. Jesus ate. Cooked cooked on the beach. (laughs) Now that all sounds amazing, right? It It sounds awesome, and it is. Kind of like a super. I keep thinking of like a superhero analogy but I couldn't really think of one because I don't really watch superhero movies but I went to watch them anyway I won't talk about that and so as I said uh, people disagree on when we get that body I think there's different views as I've said there's probably more than the three views that I've said one view is that we receive our bodies on the last day at the after the final judgment and scriptures like John 640 say, for well, this is the will of the Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Or 1 Corinthians 15:23, each will be raised in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and after those who are Christ of those who are Christ in His coming. And so that is one view that I'm, I will present to you, knowing that there are other views and we can agree to walk in unity on those things. But the question then arises, well, we, you know, we've, we've been in a state with Jesus and, and we've been with him and then he promises that we'll get these resurrection bodies and at the last day, the final day, but what do we do with these bodies? Where will we be? I'm not going to get into the millennium. (laughs) Gene's trying to to steer me down that road. I'm not going to go there. But I believe one interpretation would say that we receive these bodies at the final judgment, and then after that judgment, which is Revelation 20, and I know Revelation 20 and 21, we're getting quite intense here, there's a final judgment, and then there's the new heavens and the new earth. Is everyone following me still? I know it can get quite intense. It's very broad strokes at this point. (laughs) And so at the final judgment, we will receive new bodies. But then it says this in Revelation 21:1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the the first heaven and earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, surfers really take exception to that one. Like, what do you mean there's no more sea? Stormy sea, yeah? Well, Kelly Slater made a wave pool, so we're fine. Anyway. Little more sea. I saw the holy city in New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, no mourning or crying or pain. For the former things have passed away. And the one seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for those words are faithful and true. And he told me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give freely from the spring of the water of life. And to those who overcome, and, those who, and the one who overcomes will inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And so we get this picture of a, a new earth which is free from sin, evil, sickness, suffering, death. And it will be similar in some sense to the current world without the curse of sin. And I think there's a picture of something of this Eden restored. And so the question which has been burning on all of our minds is, will we be playing harps? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us explicitly, but it does say that we'll be worshipping him with trumpets. And I do believe that there will be work to do. See, the, the question is, what will we be doing when we die, are we just going to be doing nothing? No, we, firstly, we'll be worshipping, and some translations say serving him, right? So for eternity, we're worshipping and serving him, which is great and awesome in itself. But I, I do believe that we will be doing work. If we, if we think of the new heavens and the new earth, of this picture of a restored picture of what was happening in Eden, well then, what was the command that God gave to Adam? And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and to keep it. See, the difference between working in, in the Eden sense and working now is that there's no more curse. Who knows that working is hard? Karen knows. <laughs> but work then will be a joy. This is crazy. Work will be a joy. Yes, I get to work. Amazing. Is that a question? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Whatever work he gives me to do, I don't know. It's going to be awesome. Whatever he asks me to do, I'll do. And then this, this this final passage that I just loved in Revelation 21. But I saw no temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it, because the glory of God illuminates the city, and the Lamb is its lamp. How cool is that? We will one day be with Jesus on the new heavens and the new earth, where he will illuminate everything. Probably more brilliant than the sun. So Paul says that he desires to depart to be with Jesus, which is far better indeed. But then he goes on to say this. He says, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that you, through my coming, to you again, your exaltation in Christ will resound on account of me. And while I was thinking through the scripture, while I was Driving my kids back from Hermanus today. Happy Father's Day to me. Three hours of driving. It was awesome. This is just the thought came to me. We long to be with him in eternity while we labor for him on earth. And so really, in essence, that, that, is, that is the thing. While there's, there's an incredible future to look forward to, where we will be with Christ. And I know I've done massive broad strokes, but I hope I've painted a little picture of what it might be like to be with him. I don't know, I probably haven't done it justice. But in light of that, Paul says he stays and he works for the church and he keeps going. And I, 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 pr- I, I pray that that would be our posture, that in light of wanting to be with him, of course we do. But we just go, Jesus, I'm, I'm here now, what do you want me to do? How do I keep advancing your kingdom and loving your bride and, and doing what you've called me to do? And so I know that what I've said for some people will be too much information and for others it's pretty not enough. (laughs) Some people are like, what about the seven-headed beast? Come on, though. Like, let's roll. Well, we won't get to that tonight. Or next week. (laughs) I'll leave that to you guys to all go study and then you can come back and tell me what your thoughts are and then I'll just disagree with you because it's fine because you can, right? So anyway. But I hope that I've painted a little bit of a picture of in the near future, we are here to to labor and to produce, to produce fruit, to be in fruitful labor to Christ. And then one day, as a great reward for those of us who believe, we will fall asleep in Christ and we will wake up to Him. And we won't wake up in this far distant place called heaven, we don't really understand, but we'll wake up with Christ. I always remember Will Murray. he was... Um, he had an operation. He died on the table, right? He died. Yeah, a few times. And it kept having to pump blood into him. And I just remember him telling the story of like he, he couldn't even describe where he was. And he said there was such peace and contentment. He could have just stayed there forever. And I don't think we can really understand what it's like to be in his presence fully. I think we go like, yeah, you know, we're in worship and we have a sense of his presence. But imagine being fully in his presence. And there's nowhere else you would rather be. Well, I hope we can look forward to that. And that is our promise and our prize. But right now, our commission and our mission is to bring as many people as we can with us. (laughs) We don't want to be so focused on, on heaven that we're not doing anything here. And so I hope you can hold that intention going, you've painted a little bit of the future, but in light of that future, what do I do here? How do I bring people along? with me on that journey.